This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you, and a very special Shabbos it is, because this is the Parsha that we read, the Ten Commandments, where God, well, gives us the Torah. And what a monumental event it was. Perhaps the word it was is not the correct term, because our sages tell us something quite interesting, that each and every single day a person is obligated to consider, to see as if the Torah was given to him this day for the very first time. Each and every single day, our sages tell us, there is a newness about Torah. Torah at its infinity. A book of instruction, a book of guidance, a book of Jewish law, a book well contains so much about everything Jewish. Revelation, it speaks about the Torah, the wisdom of God coming down to the Jewish people. And each and every single day there is a newness about it. One wonders why is it that our sages, in fact, tell us this particular bit of information that not only do we commemorate an incredible event that happened so many years ago where the Jewish people, all the Jewish people stood at Sinai and God descended upon the mountain and gave the entire Jewish people indeed the entire world heard, respected and followed, gave them the Torah what is that all about? And it's Parshas Yitro and every single year we ask the exact same question why is it? that Yitro was given the incredible honor that a Parsha that carries his name contains within it perhaps one of the most significant and most important events in Jewish history, Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah revelation at Sinai. Because after all, when we stop for a moment and we consider what history is all about. And Jewish history, well, is a long history. It's a history of, of greatness, a history sometimes difficult to understand, certainly at the moment of experiencing certain events. But in the fullness of time, with honest eyes and honest ears, we begin to hear and see things differently and clearly. Jewish history is, in a sense, an unfolding story, an unfolding story of great revelation. We see the presence of God. We see the miracles of God. God. We see the intentions of God. We see God somehow pushing us, encouraging us, directing us toward completing and fulfilling all of creation. And you've heard me say this so many times, that yes, each and every single one of us has a particular role to play, an important role to play. Each and every single one of us has one dimension of creation that he or she is responsible for. And this is why it takes tremendous insight, it takes tremendous wisdom to know what in fact that particular element of responsibility is. But the fact remains, as we go through life and we perform so many mitzvot, we study the Torah, we exercise prayer, we do that which God wants us to do along the line, we somehow correct or fulfill, complete one aspect of creation. Because ultimately, in the story of God's world, our world, there are three moments of greatness, and each one celebrates a different dimension of what this world is all about. The first, of course, is creation, where God brings the world into being. We spoke about that, and we speak about it often, how God himself created heaven and earth. The narrative in Bereshit, the beginning of, of Genesis, talks to us about the process of creation, how through the utterings, the ten statements that God made, he brought this incredible world, indeed an incredible universe, into being. 
He brought a world into being for reasons that are difficult to understand. Why would an infinite God who needs nothing is beyond any type of, so to speak, personal concern? Why would he need a world? And we talk about very often how, in fact, it's within this world that he allocates the right. He empowers each and every one of us with the strength of choice because somehow he moves away from that particular area and he says, it's up to you, up to each and every one of us to do something to complete creation based upon the exercise of choice that we are called upon to make from time to time. Ultimately, life is an ongoing issue of choices. We have to choose all sorts of things. And by choice, I don't mean picking this over that in the simple material sense of the word. I'm talking about making and exercising choices which are fundamental to choose between that which God wants and that which God does not want basically to choose between good and evil. And if we would look at life that way, that life basically is an ongoing challenge where we are called upon to exercise this extraordinary and powerful energy called choice, these are the keys. These are the elements that enable us to fulfill the purpose of God's creation. So the very first element of greatness in all this world was God bringing the world into being and God brought the world into being creation. The second, of course, is Revelation at Sinai. Revelation at Sinai where God fulfills the will of the people by giving them the Torah to make them understand what, in fact, the world is all about. We speak about the Torah being the wisdom of God, the infinite wisdom of God, something which is beyond any type of human real comprehension ultimately God shares with us can you imagine this great God shares with us his personal wisdom his personal greatness and it's through Torah by understanding and fulfilling acting out the mitzvahs that we are obligated to do we begin to understand we begin to have insight into what this world is all about. The world changed at Sinai. The world became a different place. It became a different place because up to that point, there was a great divide between the heavenly and that which is on earth. There was a great separation between the two. And there couldn't be a proper intermingling between the two. The heavenly remained, so to speak, in the heavens, and the earthly, that remained here in the physical realms. At Matantara, all of that changed. Those limitations, those borders were breached. God said, that which is above will come down below, and that which is below will come up above. There will be a total interaction between the highest of the high and lowest of the low. This began an understanding and process of action that made us fulfill the will of God, the will of creation. And the third Hyde moment, of course, is, well, ultimately when God will liberate the entire world. The world will be liberated with the coming of Mashiach. Then the world will have achieved its perfection that God intended at the very first instant of creation. But it's through Torah that we ultimately march to this moment of great geula, great liberation, the coming of Mashiach, the fulfillment of all of creation. And what happened at Sinai actually was, in a sense, the ongoing fulfillment of what began years and years prior to that. From the moment of creation, all of creation was focused, really, 
to enable the world to receive the Torah, to enable the world to take that intense and immense spirituality into their own lives, into the limitations of a physical world, and to receive the Torah, so to speak. It began with Adam, but unfortunately Adam and Eve, well, they made a terrible mistake. They went against the clear instruction of God, and so it went on for generation after generation where people behaved in ways. They accepted idolatry, immorality. They began to behave in a way which didn't allow for divinity to be revealed in the world. But all of that changed with one person. Along comes Abraham, and Abraham recognizes godliness and with that began the process and the development of the Jewish people while in fact Abraham is the father of all major religions all monotheistic religions those who believe in one God nonetheless the line continued through his son Isaac not the other and his line continues Isaac's through Jacob and not through Esau and through the patriarchs this process of preparing the world practically and simply into a situation of a world ready to receive the Torah began. We'll talk about that more in a moment or two. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendelovska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the question, why is it that Yitro was given this incredible honor that the Parsha that carries his name contains the single most important moment in history so far, the moment of revelation at Sinai when God gave the Jewish people the Torah at Sinai. And we're talking about how, in fact, a process that began from the very first moment of creation to prepare the world to become a vessel to receive the Torah, all of this played out over many, many years and ultimately comes to its great compelling moment, the moment of revelation. But before we continue, a word from the marketplace. We haven't had one of these so we're talking about how this process of preparing the world to receive the Torah began, well, a long time before Revelation. It began in a practical way with Abraham. Abraham recognizes God and spreads the word of ethical monotheism throughout the world. Ethical monotheism being, of course, a mode of behavior which is correct and ethical based upon faith in one God. And he influences the lives and thoughts and behavior of hundreds of thousands of people. And this is continued with his son, Isaac, and further continued with his son, Jacob. And then the Jewish people descend into Egypt initially to receive food from Joseph, who is feeding all of Egypt, in fact, most of the civilized world at the time, from food which has Unfortunately, the world has gone into a terrible drought then as well, and famine. And Joseph cleverly planned for this, as we know the story of the dreams, etc. And then the Jews are enslaved for hundreds of years, and finally comes the moment of liberation, of great freedom, the exodus, Yitziat Mitzrayim, something that we celebrate. Soon thereafter, standing at Sinai, receiving the Torah. And as mentioned, what happened in the world as a result of the efforts of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob tribes, the Jewish people, even in the most desperate situation of Egypt, where they were enslaved, not only physically, but more so emotionally, spiritually, they were enslaved in a situation of great darkness, 
And despite being enslaved in such horrible circumstances, they choose to exercise their responsibility as children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to continue with the legacy of ethical monotheism, even in Egypt. Yes, although there were some who drifted away, some who unfortunately couldn't handle the challenge of the time, couldn't resist the seduction and influence of Egypt. But nonetheless, the Jewish people as a people retain a tremendous sense of faith, and not only faith, but practical action as well, where they continue to fulfill the will of God by revealing his presence in the world and becoming examples, models of ethical behavior and models of individual who believe in the one God. And because of that, the world was now prepared to receive the Torah. The world had been cleansed to a certain degree. It's not perfect yet. Perfection will only come with the ultimate moment of redemption, the ultimate moment of true liberation, the ultimate moment of the coming of Mashiach. But the Torah could now be given the world. The initial dimension of darkness has been broken. And this is how the Parsha begins, Vayishma Yitro. And Yitro hears something. And what does he hear? He hears all that God did for the Jewish people. What impresses him? Our sages have different views. In fact, Rashi quotes rhetorically the question, what did he hear that caused him to leave the comfort of his home? He was Kohed Midian. He was the religious and political head of Midian, a powerful nation at the time. He was an individual of great intellect, a man who was respected throughout the world for his knowledge, for his ability to know things and to lead a country that at that time was considered one of the great countries of the world. What causes a man like Israel to leave that position of comfort and come to the wilderness where the Jewish people are living and to see, in fact, what happened over here that God gave the Jewish people the Torah. And while, of course, he is the father-in-law of Moshe, he is the father-in-law of Moses, the father of Zipporah, the wife of Moshe, nonetheless, this isn't enough. This was not a family visit per se. This was a visit that was going to express a tremendous shift, not only in the thinking of Yitro, but in fact in the entire world. What is that all about? And the answer, of course, that our sages give us is that he saw the incredible miracles of God, where God acted within history, God acted within the physical realm to take his people out of Egypt, to take his people out of slavery, and in the process crushes the most powerful of nations, powerful of kings, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He is able to change the direction of the world, a world that allowed for such violent, tyrannical behavior, nonetheless has now come to an end. The Jewish people are taken out of Egypt. God splits the sea. He does something which is quite extraordinary, and they have to face the mighty armies of Amalek who stand in their way on their road to Sinai, and he crushes them as well. And this impresses Israel. And we have to ask the question, these were miracles, great miracles, miracles that show the presence of God in the world. Why was Yisrael so in well impressed? After all, Yisrael was a man of great intellect, a man of great spirituality, albeit not in the perfect sense. But nonetheless, he understood the concept of 
events that change the course of natural order to bring about a miracle. What really touches Israel? What moves him to the point that he leaves his position of power and strength and great admiration to become, well, to join the Jewish people. In fact, he converts to the Jewish faith. He becomes part of the Jewish nation. And the answer, of course, is Yitro was the master of idolatry. He knew about every single form of idolatrous worship that existed from the beginning of time until the end of time. And idolatry has one common denominator. Idolatry has one common denominator. It's not only a denial of God and choosing either, well, man-made ideas or man-made objects as a type of God that Jews, uh, that people have faith in. He saw within God's behavior something which destroys and denies the very basis of idolatry. What is the basis of idolatry? The basis of idolatry is distancing God from the world. This happened many generations ago, in fact, in the third generation of humankind, where people began to think that God empowered the sun, the moon, and other natural energy forces in the world to direct the world. God is too great, God is too powerful, they argued, to be concerned with specific physical minutiae needs of any people. God does not concern himself with running the world on that type of micromanagement. God distances himself. This is the basis of idolatry. This is what connects all idolatry. It's not necessarily a denial of the existence of God, but rather removing God from a basic concept that he acts within history, he acts within time and space as we know, as we understand. He directs each and every single action. He directs each and every single motion, each and every single situation that this world goes through. He sees the story of, well, the Jewish people in Egypt, an enslaved people. And it's not as if they rose up one day in great rebellion to deny and to reject the power and strength of Egypt. No. He sees the story of the ten plagues where God systematically destroys the strength, the pride of the Egyptians by bringing the ten plagues. And as we mentioned in the past few weeks, each and every one of those plagues addresses a different dimension. Each and every single one of those dimensions, unfortunately, represent a different form of idolatry. And God, through the ten plagues, brings about this tremendous, tremendous change. And this impresses him. This touches him. He begins to see that, yes, God is directly involved in each and every single element of this world. He looks after his people. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this promise is not, well, one of these days the Jewish people will be liberated. No, there is a very clear process, a very systematic process, where all of this changes in the most dramatic, miraculous and fascinating sort of way. But that's not all. He looks at the splitting of the sea, and as we mentioned some time ago when we spoke about the splitting of the sea, 
that the splitting of the sea represents the revelation of that which is hidden and contained within the world, that God not only makes miracles where he interferes with the natural order of things and brings about powerful energies that are able to change things to a certain degree, but opening the sea, uncovering the sea, indicates a tremendous desire on the part of God to reveal to his people the secrets of the world, that which is normally hidden. Water covers everything. We don't know necessarily what is there underneath the sea, what is in the seabed and beneath the waters. But God opens that up. God not only shows miracles within the physical realm of this world to his people, but he also reveals tremendous secrets, divine secrets, purpose of creation purpose of being, purpose of, well, what it is that we do and have to do in this world. He also stands up against Amalek, Amalek being that nation that tries to stop the Jewish people from progressing toward Sinai. And there too, even though Amalek is the single most powerful nation on earth with a mighty army, they are crushed in the great battle. This touches Yisrael. He begins to realize that all the idols that he understood, all the types of worship that he understood up to this point, they are really empty. Empty because they are based upon the false premise that God has distanced himself from the world and has allocated power and strength by delegating his power to other natural forces, other elements of energy within this physical world. And suddenly, Vayishma Yisro. Yisro hears. And what is hearing? Hearing is you begin to understand with a profound insight. He begins to understand that all that he believed in has come to nothing. After all, God does work through the time and space of reality in the physical realm. God works within history. And this is something which touches Yisrael. Yisrael now understands that the faith of the Jewish people, which was ultimately built upon monotheism, one God. This is absolutely true. And it's not one God way up there, hidden somewhere within the heavenly realms. It's one God that appears here below. And this is the one God that does whatever is necessary in order to crush the forces of evil, of darkness, and bring about change in the world through his presence. He reveals his presence. He reveals his purpose by the story of the splitting of the sea. By Yishma Yisra, he is moved to such a degree that he is prepared to give up all that he has and all that he believes in, his power and his strength, in order to become part of this unique and extraordinary people, the Jewish people. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about what touches Yitro to the point where he is prepared to change his entire life. He is prepared to, well, give up a tremendous position of honor and power. Religious power, political power, economic power, in order to become part of the Jewish people. And it's all as a result of seeing God's action within history, that God did not delegate power to any other forms of energy within this world. He retains immediate and total control 
of every single detail of creation on an ongoing basis. But, but everything is either 90 or around the figure. No more than 99s, perhaps. Next week we'll hear about that again. We're talking about Yisra. We're talking about the Parsha. We're talking about a great Shambhas. We're talking about a fact that Yisra, who is the ultimate ultimate philosopher and idolater of the time recognizes the greatness and presence of God and he admits that to Moshe. He says, now I know that God is the greatest of all the deities. All the other energy forces are nothing in relationship to the presence of God because God controls the highest of the high and the lowest of the low and everything in between. God is present at all times. And in a sense, this is an idea that touches our faith so deeply because very often people think, does God really listen to me when I talk to him, when I pray to him, when I express my, well desires, hopes, prayers to God really listen to me? And the answer is a resounding yes. Yes, God does, because he's right here with us. This is what Revelation at Sinai is all about. Revelation at Sinai is not merely giving the Jewish people a great work, a great book of intellect, a great book of Jewish history, a great book of great Jewish wisdom. This is something which connects us directly with God. Each and every single one of us possesses a soul, which is part and parcel of God. And in order for us to have a conscious relationship, not only a deeply, well, hidden spiritual connection with God, but a conscious, a conscious relationship that translates into an understanding of godliness, a feeling for things holy. This is what Torah is all about. Torah is something, as mentioned before, we have to recognize the newness of the Torah being given on a daily basis because each and every single day there is an added and greater challenge in life that we have to encounter. What we did yesterday, the choices, even the most powerful and positive choices yesterday, which have an incredible positive effect not only upon us but all of creation, that was yesterday. Today the Torah is given anew. Each and every one of us has to receive it, well, ultimately with the same degree of excitement and sensitivity that we did initially at Sinai. And this is something which each and every single of us can do. And this is why as we go into the Parsha, before the actual story of the Ten Commandments, which is in the sixth portion of the Parsha, Moshe is told by God that the Jewish people will be for him an Am Sigula, a nation that is chosen from among all the other nations of the world. Yes, this is the chosenness of the Jewish people. The chosenness of the Jewish people is not necessarily because they're mighty and powerful or wealthy or clever. It's because they have accepted the Torah, this incredible gift that connects the Jewish people with God in the fullest sense of the word. And this is something that each and every one of us has to understand with a tremendous degree of greatness. But that's not enough. It's not only that we were chosen as an amsegula, a chosen people, but as the Parsha itself says, and you shall be for me, well, a kingdom of priests of Kohanim and Gokadosh, a holy nation, a holy people. In order for us to truly live up to the tremendous gift of being a chosen people, we are called upon to become a nation 
a monarchy of priests and a nation of holiness. And what is a priest? A priest is not merely, well, the individual who ministers in the temple. An individual like a Kohen is the one who on a constant basis is obligated to be in a state of preparedness and purity and holiness to serve in the temple as God's servant within the temple. And this is what we have to do. Ultimately, all of creation, the entire world, is a huge temple. And each and every one of us has to be a Kohen. We have to serve and serve correctly, serve with a tremendous sense of joy, a tremendous sense of holiness, a tremendous sense of divinity, a tremendous sense of dedication and devotion to God's will, to God's idea. We are the Kohanim of the world. We are the ministers of the world. The world is dependent upon us. As the temple itself was dependent upon the actions and the service of the Kohanim, the world being our temple, is dependent upon our behavior. In other words, it's not only being a chosen people that were given the Torah by God, but we have to live up by example by becoming models of individuals who stand by that which Torah is all about. And not only that, but Go Kadesh, to be a nation of holiness. A nation of holiness does not mean detached from the reality of the world, but a nation that within every single physical act tries to reveal and highlight the holiness of that situation. It's not as if we live in a world that has dimensions of holiness and dimensions of profanity. No, we live in a physical world correctly, but it's within that physical world that we are obligated to become the Gekadosh, to become a nation of holiness, revealing the presence of God and the greatness of God in each and every single action, in each and every single thing. And this is why when you are in shul tomorrow, Listen carefully to the story of Yisrael. Listen carefully to the Parsha. And above all, as you stand and listen to the Ten Commandments, know full well what that is all about, where God begins with the word Anachi, I am. And I am is a term which is all-inclusive. I am. The very basis of all existence, the very basis of everything that is, I am. I'm the one who brings it into being. We ultimately have to connect with that. And how do we do that? That's perhaps as we go through the Ten Commandments, each one opening up another dimension of holiness. As we come to the last, don't covet, don't be jealous. In other words, understand your place in the world. Understand your role in the world. Understand your particular mission in the world. And when we do that, we do that with a tremendous sense of purpose, of holiness. We connect with the Anochi I am. We connect with the one who creates the world and gives us the Torah. And we live up to the great glory of being Amsigula, a chosen people, monarchy of Kohanim, a nation of holiness. Good Shabbos.